1: And a warm welcome back to the Lizelle Wellbeing Show. And today we are talking about our mental health. Now, according to the NHS in England, one in four adults and one in 10 children experience a mental illness, with numbers on the increase after the stresses and anxiety of enforced lockdowns. Well thankfully the conversation around this topic seems to be shifting with more and more of us open to talking about our own experiences and someone who is part of that conversation is psychotherapist, best-selling author, podcaster and mum of three, Anna Martha. Now, Anna is passionate about taking therapy out of the therapy room with a particular emphasis on supporting mums through motherhood. She is the best-selling author of books such as Mind Over Mother and Know Your Worth. And now she's back with her new title, The Little Book of Calm for New Mums, which is just as relevant for grandmas too, I must say. Anna, welcome to the podcast. Now, when we
2: last spoke, I appeared on yours not that long ago. You did. Yes. And your words are still ringing in my ears, honestly. Oh, yeah. well, thank I, you. Yeah, it's. I can't wait. So we haven't published that one yet. And I'm so excited to because it's so empowering. Oh. And yeah, thank you. Well,
1: that's very kind of you to say. And, do you know, talking to you, it was just such an interesting experience chatting through motherhood. You have three kids, I have five and the different experiences of the different ages and journeys. And I think for those of us listening who perhaps are mums, have daughters who are new mums or about to be mums or about to be grandmas, you know, you never stop being a mum, do you? So no matter what age you are, they are still your children, even if they're grown up.
2: Mm, yeah, I love speaking to mums of children older than my my own. I'm uh, My youngest is three, and then I've got a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. And people say it just it gets different. It It doesn't necessarily get easier. (laughs) It doesn't necessarily get breezier. The challenges Uh, just change. So I always find it really, yeah, I find it really interesting and to get some words of wisdom for, for the future well, things that lie ahead.
1: Definitely I still can't believe that I'm a mum of a 31 year old to be honest it just I don't well. even feel 31 myself frankly but anyway so for anyone who doesn't know you can you give us a little bit about your background?
2: Yeah so I'm, I'm a psychotherapist I trained gosh it, I think I started my training in 2000 and 10. And I, for years, worked clinically in kind of the ways that you'd expect. I worked in GP surgeries, I worked in kind of private practices, and then I had my kids. And I I think the motherhood experience just brought a whole new perspective to mental health and how important it is to implement the things that I've been working with clients through over the years and and the challenges that came with motherhood. I think I just started to realize that I need these tools. I need these tools more than Mm. ever. And through that and and just kind of dabbling in social media and finding that actually there is a hunger for this, that it's an amazing privilege to be able to access therapy. But actually there are things that I can share that will help mums regardless of of whether they can have kind of the classical therapy. So that's what I became really passionate Mm. about doing after implementing them in my own life and needing to.
1: So you're a mum of three you say that you were implementing these in your own life because you needed to what Mm. was your experience then with your own mental health within the family?
2: Yeah so my first child it was like he he was pretty textbook you know all the books that that you read and you think right I found myself now I'm uh I I know what I'm (laughs) going to be doing when I have my baby and then the baby comes along and the baby hasn't read the books. Well, my first one, he, he was pretty textbook, actually. He was quite straightforward. And I really enjoyed that new motherhood experience. Generally, was tired, but I did all the, you know, the play dates and the the baby groups and all of that. And and yeah, loved it. And within a year, I was pregnant again. And it, it was a totally and utterly different journey. I kind of went into this pregnancy thinking, you know what, I've I think I've got it, not I've got it nailed, but I've got a really good mm-hmm. blueprint. And I'm just basically going to do the same thing again and surely that'll work but he had silent reflux so there was an absolute kind of lack of sleep distinct lack of sleep I some nights it would be literally 45 minutes oh my goodness a night sleep yeah yeah and and it was undiagnosed so the silent reflux um I spoke to a few kind of different professionals seeking help why has my baby not stopped screaming oh, yeah. and was just told that, well, you know, you probably had an easy first baby. This is what some babies really? do. So I just assumed that I was the problem. I thought, well, I, I'm i not doing something right then. I'm not feeding right. I'm not, you know, doing the sleeping thing right. I'm not parenting right. And it, you know, instead of determining that there was something going on, I I determined in my sleep, sleepless haze that I right. must be, I must be the problem. And And that was even more compounded I think by the fact that I had worked as a therapist for years I'd guided people through so many people through different mental health challenges and so therefore why could I not help myself to be okay Mm. and it was the most humbling and messy experience of my life and as someone who is a bit of a perfectionist and people pleaser in recovery (laughs) it was really everything was stripped from me and I and I started to realize how vitally I needed people and that was a bit terrifying And how vitally I needed to start prioritising, kind of validating my feelings and my needs. So it was really, it was the darkest but the most pivotal and life-changing experience of my, my whole
1: life. Gosh, well there's just so much in that, yeah. isn't there? Uh, from the very practical aspect of lack of sleep, which as we know has so mm-hmm. many repercussions, knock-on effects, you know, mental health, immune system and all of that. But as you say, making rational decisions and thinking about something objectively it's virtually impossible if you've had very little sleep. So you are in this vicious cycle. How did you manage to break it?
2: So it, it actually became really clear, this one moment where I kind of banished my husband from our <laughs> bedroom um, because I felt so incredibly vulnerable in my struggle to cope in the nights. I was crying and I would often just really be thinking, how, how am I going to make it through another night? And I found it really hard to be seen to be vulnerable was very much a, one of my kind of ways of coping with life was don't worry about me. I've got it all together. I'll be fine. Mm. This will be fine. I can sort it out. So the thought of someone else seeing me in that really messy state was really hard. So I encouraged him to sleep upstairs. He worked long hours. So I was like, you go upstairs, you get some sleep. And I remember one night, you know, my little baby was screaming and screaming. And I remember thinking i I literally can't do this anymore. I can't do this. And I went upstairs and I said, You've got to come down and be with me because I'm I'm scared. I'm scared of I guess I was I was scared of myself in a way. Yes, and sure. what what might happen if I was mm-hmm. was on my own? And it was just this, you know, one of the hardest moments that going up those stairs and saying, You've got to come. You have to come. I I I can't do this anymore. And and whilst, you know, it was it was a rock bottom in some ways, it was the beginning of everything changing and me daring to believe and this is what I'm so encouraging of mums to do is that we are not created to deal with everything perfectly on our own we just we're just Mm. not so that you know sometimes those moments of waving that white flag of surrender almost to yourself (laughs) is when people can people can step in and people can can be who they they're meant to be which is you know we need to support each other so yeah I I can remember
1: with my first child and possibly second one as well, that sense of needing to be perfect and wanting everything just to be so lovely and special. And of course, you have, you know, the surging hormones and the tiredness and the lack of sleep and, you know, potential breastfeeding issues and the whole strangeness of having, you know, to suddenly be somebody's parent rather than just somebody's child, that whole kind of dynamic changing. And I remember, you know, getting dressed and wanting to appear kind of, quote, normal. And then somebody said to me, because I I had my children quite spaced out. There's a sort of 20-year gap between the eldest and the youngest. And when I had my sort of next batch, if you like, of children, I think things had possibly slightly moved on from a kind of psychological perspective. And somebody said to me, well, don't get dressed for at least... Six weeks. I said, well, so What do you mean? Mm-hmm. And they said, Well, just stay in your pajamas so that whenever anybody comes to see you, be it a health visitor or a friend or your mum or whoever, there's an immediate recognition that you are not yourself, that you do need taken care of. You know, you are vulnerable, you physically are potentially slightly fragile. And it just gives you that permission, if you like, not to be perfect Mm. and to cut yourself some slack. And I have to say, it's the one piece of advice that I do actually pass on to so many, you know, pregnant girlfriends of my daughters, for example, or new mums just say, you know, please don't, don't try and be Miss Superwoman right at the beginning.
2: That's brilliant, isn't it? That outward, (laughs) that outward expression, that outward, you know what, I might, because it's so easy, I think after my first child, I, um the day after having him, I went to Sainsbury's and (laughs) yes, the morning after. And I I remember um, walking around there and saying to my husband, I I think I need to go back to the car. I I feel like I'm like physically (laughs) falling apart. And, you know, but, but I just, you know, I makeup on, was dressed and it was my way of facing the world. And I think mm. after my third to show the difference, I did just that. I was in at home, in my loungewear, no makeup on. And instead of, I remember this this moment of thinking, I had a bit of a meltdown, you know, just tired and emotional and hormonal. And a friend of mine said, I come over, I want to come and see, I'm going to meet, meet the baby. And, I, and what I would have said with my first was, don't come over, I'm a mess. Like, don't come over, no, it's fine, don't come over, I'm a bit of a mess right now. But actually when I had Florence, my third one, my response was, come over, I'm a mess. Like, come over, I need you, I'm a mess. And it's just, it's that difference, isn't it, of almost not being fearful of our own messiness, which is (laughs) the humanness of it all.
1: Well, you're very honest in all of your work, actually, on social media particularly, I think, about the struggles of parenting. And it is tough, isn't it? And I think what you're saying here is it's okay to say it's tough and it's okay To show your vulnerability and to say, yes, I do need something. And by the way, if you are coming over, could you just go and pick up some milk on your way over? Because I don't have any. (laughs) I haven't
2: been organized
1: enough to do it all.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think I have the immense privilege of being witness to over the years you know thousands of women's behind the scenes thousands of you know the the dark corners and the rough edges of of motherhood experiences so I know with with stark clarity that I am not alone so when I talk about guilt I talk about intrusive thoughts I talk about rage I talk about all of these feelings Mm. I can do so with with a confidence that I don't have shame around those feelings anymore and because I know with certainty that I am not alone and it will resonate with people whether they're able to whether they feel able to face those emotions and accept them or not whereas I think that's come through being a therapist and and then it it makes it easier to speak about those those kind of dark corners and and rough edges but I think there is it is hard on social media because and and just in motherhood because it's almost as if we have to caveat the whole time Have you ever found yourself doing that you know I'm having a really hard day but I'm so grateful I'm so grateful as if, (laughs) as if admitting those feelings of boredom or resentment or irritability or, or whatever it may be, loneliness, cancels out the love and the gratitude and the privilege and the enjoyment of motherhood. We can have, we can have both. Yes.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting that you're taking down that kind of stigma of sharing the more challenging aspects of motherhood that perhaps haven't been discussed in the past, and, and giving everyone permission to say, actually, it is a bit crap right now, but you know, it will be fine. And yeah. you know, that there is always light and shade, isn't there, to everything? Absolutely. And I think social media, particularly, and I know, you know, so many young mums are obviously on social media, and that's where their messages are coming through. Do you see a change? I mean, I've noticed it with my daughter talking about hidden disability for example and she talks a lot about light and shade and she shares some you know really kind of quite hardcore stuff particularly about recurrent miscarriage and that kind of thing which I guess in the old days we wouldn't have shared we would have kept it completely private do you see more people particularly young mums opening up with this
2: yeah definitely I think people are and then obviously the more people that open up then the more the, the more it inspires others to share their story too. So I do think that is happening. And I think as a, as a therapist, I watch on sometimes and I, and I am so pleased that that is happening. But there's a part of me that wants people to want more for themselves. So it's great to know that, that you're not alone. It's great to know that what you're going through isn't, you know, it's shared. However, I always want people to want more than just to stop there. Yes. You know, there is so much more for us than just that kind of communal acceptance of anxiety or lying awake with insomnia or constant googling for different symptoms and you know we talk about these things and it's great to know we're not alone but I'm there I'm there wanting to to add them more you know there is something you can do to help I want you know mums often we have such high bars for ourselves and how we parent I want to address that so we can make that more human taking into account our humanness and our imperfection but also then I want to up another bar I want to encourage mums to want more for their own mental health You know, to want more headspace, more of a better relationship with rest, a better relationship Mm. with accepting support and vulnerability. So, yeah, it's great that we've got this increased awareness and acknowledgement. But I also want people to want more for themselves than for it to stop there. So I think what we're saying is
1: that it's great that we've got the first step, got the first rung of the ladder. You accept it, you acknowledge it, you recognize it. But of course, you have to keep going from there. And I know that you're particularly passionate about taking therapy outside of the therapy room and giving everybody some really simple tools to help themselves. And I think that's that's what's so empowering and inspiring about your work is that you're not just saying, yes, I know it's all a bit rubbish. And as you say, stopping. But there's yeah. the next bit of the sentence, which is so important.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And just, just equipping people. Because actually over the years, you start to notice themes with... People bring their different stories, but actually underneath it all is often you know it's challenge with self-esteem. it might be that kind of harsh, critical, even bullying, internal dialogue. It might be that there has been trauma that has become the lens that people live live their lives through. It might be kind of people pleasing traits and and actually, whilst the stories are all unique there are often those kind of threads that run through them and I can give people tools for those things. Mm. You know, I can't work as a therapist with every individual person, but maybe I can give them some things to help get some clarity, some insight, some tools for those those different needs. So that's kind of my way of taking therapy out of the therapy room and just giving Mm. people something that they can do now.
1: So the new book, The Little Bit of Calm for New Mums, how would you describe it?
2: So it actually came from a moment on a Wednesday afternoon in the kitchen, I was just feeling that kind of parental overwhelm and, (laughs) oh my goodness, how am I going to make it through the next few hours? And I just, I thought in that moment, I was like, who can I message? Who can I send a cheeky message to just to get some words of kind of grounding? And I thought, wouldn't it be amazing to have a book full of words of grounding for different emotions so if we're feeling kind of resentment or boredom or anger or anxiety so that we could just open it to that page if we don't have someone there who can ground us then we can get some words of clarity and encouragement so that was really it it's kind of a book that I need a book that I needed and it's also all the words that I would say to the mums that that I coach or come and sit on my blue sofa as a client of mine and all my friends. So yes, it's just a collection of emotions. Then you, you don't read it front to back. You just hop to hop to the emotion that feels resonant. Dip in and out. Yeah. yeah.
1: And do you think that there's a real
2: need even more perhaps for a book like this right now? I think so. I, I think that one of the biggest tools for people's mental health through the pandemic was gratitude. I would say that gratitude has been life-changing for me because it just brings balance into some of those kind of more difficult, harder emotions. And it's brilliant. But I think we've tended to use gratitude perhaps, or some of us have, as a way of over- overlooking those emotions. So I think in the pandemic I really struggled thinking, oh my gosh, this is so intense. Wait a minute, Anna, come on. You're you you haven't got a loved one in hospital. You're not working these crazy hours under, you know, traumatic stress. Mm -hmm. You know, pull yourself together. And it was like I was using gratitude as a tool to kind of beat myself up with. And so then all those feelings of overwhelm, all those kind of really human responses to the circumstances in front of me were kind of invalidated in an instant and I think we so often do this to ourselves and just invalidate some of those really normal human emotions with you know well with emotional comparison well look at so and so they've got a harder situation or perhaps you've had a real challenge to become a mum so then you're invalidating your own emotions because but I wanted this this is everything I wanted or I've got a friend that would kill to have this situation Mm. and using that gratitude as a way to kind of shame feelings. And I think what I want to do with this book is just kind of unpick that little bit and just bring some clarity and reframe some of these emotions so that we can move on from them rather than just shame them. So yeah, that's why I think it's really pertinent at the moment when many of us have found ourselves kind of caveating every difficult emotion or comparing (laughs) it away or gratitude, you know, the validity out of it. Yes.
1: Yeah, it's almost like the caveat or the end bit to everything. But yeah. What do we mean about gratitude here? You know, how do we use it and how do we best show it then? Because gratitude is clearly important. It's an important yeah. emotion to have. We shouldn't yeah. negate it and say, actually, we should just put it to one side. H-
2: how do we best use it? Oh, yeah, because it's amazing. It's just it completely can transform my mood. And I think it's the end. So I sometimes speak at this moment when my washing machine made me cry. And I was, (laughs) I was sat there doing all this washing and it was like, oh, the relentlessness Ah. of it all. And the, you know, I think I had a million Ah. different things to do. The doorbell was going, the kids were shouting. And I just, I really, in that moment, just resented all of this, you know, the relentlessness Mm. of it all. And I thought, I'm just going to bring some gratitude into this moment. And I started thinking, (laughs) you know, these clothes that we, could afford to buy for the children that I am so grateful to have in this home that I feel safe in. You know, we, we, we are mm-hmm. so privileged to afford the electricity. And it just, you know, it started just kind of building this picture as I was sat on the on the floor of the utility room. And, you know, alongside the awareness, the relentlessness and the, the drudgery of some aspects of motherhood, I also had this swell of joy. And I think it's the both. So my favourite little word is and you know, mm-hmm. we can have the acknowledgement of of the relentlessness and the gratitude and why, why can't they sit beside each other, mm-hmm. you know, and gra- using gratitude to bring balance. And I was thinking, you know, there's so much going on in our world right now. And it can be so easy to invalidate the fact that there are just also daily challenges in our lives. But we need we need the both we need the human Mm -hmm. response to what's going on because that's just us that's just what we're responding to and we need the gratitude and the awareness of privilege and if we just had the human emotion emotional response without the gratitude it could feel heavy and overwhelming and we could feel quite negative but if we also if we just had the gratitude then you know we're not really engaging in in what's going on in our lives and validating those feelings so we need both we can have and we can have heartache and joy we can have gratitude and pain and they can exist really well Mm -hmm. together
1: yeah absolutely coexist and need to and I think for anybody listening it can be just as simple as thinking to ourselves well thanks for dot 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 Yeah. thanks for the fact that I'm breathing even, you know, I I often think that I'll I'll actually share something with you, which struck me the other day and it stayed with me for such a long time. When I was maybe 17, I was at college in London and I was a lodger and I lived in this house, um, lovely house in um, Westminster, Pimlico. With the fashion editor of the then uh, Telegraph, who's very glamorous. And I was completely in awe of this person. And I remember coming back from college one day, and she was in the kitchen and she was cleaning the cooker. And she had, I don't know, a Brillo pad or something. And she was taking stains off the back of this cooker, going, Oh my goodness, these boys, they leave such a mess. And I'm so busy. And I've got. And the one thing that I thought at that time, I can remember it so clearly, was I wish I had a house with a cooker in it. And the other day I was in the kitchen and my boys had been in and there was, you know, I'd been grilling sausages or something There was just fat everywhere. And of course, they'd gone out to play football, leaving me to clean it up. And and I remember thinking, oh, for heaven's sake, you know, can't anybody clean? Why does it have to be me? So I got out the scouring pad and as I was cleaning it, this moment, I just flashed back to this 17-year-old self saying, I wish I had a cooker to clean. And it just made me, I mean, it really put me in, in into a much better frame of mind and perspective, thinking I'm so grateful, actually, that I have this moment. You know, I have the boys, they've cooked food, I have a cooker to clean. And yeah. you know, maybe it sounds a bit trite to say that, but it, it does actually help, I think, kind it of does. defuse a potentially stressful situation and, and stop the resentment maybe from building up.
2: Yeah. I mean, how powerful that little moment and that kind of that <laughs> flashback to that memory and, and how, it, you know, it was still annoying and it was still you know there might have been a tad of resentment there if you just gone away and carried on playing football and and now I'm doing this but also it was you know the and there of, Mm of that you know that kind of that joy that that came up when you started thinking about that and how the two could just sit beside each other and it just it As you said, it changed your frame of mind and it is, it just reframes things. It doesn't, it's like turning a light on in a dark room. It just adds some light to the situation. It doesn't necessarily change (laughs) the situation. Absolutely. I was still cleaning the flipping cooker. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Oh, powerful. These little moments are powerful.
1: Uh, Well, we're going to pause here for just a moment and take a very quick ad break, but don't go anywhere. Because we are coming back with some more super helpful and practical tips for coping with anxiety and some strategies that really work.
0: So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash achieve today.
1: Well, welcome back. And as promised, we are moving on now to talk about anxiety, more emotions, how best to deal with it. Which is especially relevant, I think, right now, because Anna, in the book, you talk about a whole range of emotions that you might feel as a mum, especially a new mum, you know, guilt, boredom, resentment, anger, anxiety. And of course, anxiety is so often named the baby blues. I mean, is, is there, are they a real thing? Do they really exist?
2: Yeah, I think it's, you know, the baby blues is often just that intensity of that hormonal shift after you've had your baby. And some people may not have experienced anxiety in it, in a way that has concerned them before. And I think because of that sh- sudden shift in hormones, it can, you know, those intrusive thoughts can come, those thoughts that kind of just pop unprompted into your mind. And because you've got a baby, you feel, you know, it's often people say it's like having my heart outside of my body, you know, suddenly with love comes risk and vulnerability. Like love is the one side of the coin and then vulnerability is the other. So the more we love, the more, the more risky it is to, to lose and to feel pain so it can feel really exacerbated sometimes or we can just get a new awareness of anxiety in those early days of motherhood and then of course it just switches on our awareness to it so yes I think the baby blues is that hormonal shift but it can definitely find increasing feelings of anxiety
1: but I think once the hormones settle I think especially now there does seem to be an increased sense of anxiety Mm
2: -hmm. that may
1: not necessarily be hormonally driven but may be caused by external factors and you say in the book that anxiety is not necessarily always a bad thing.
2: It's potentially yeah. there to keep us safe, is that right? Absolutely and I think this can often be quite surprising to people because normally anxiety, as soon as we start to become aware of it in a sense that it's problematic, it's something we want just to go. We want to find ways to get rid of it when actually um, And if you think of an animal at a watering hole, so if you think of, you know, this beautiful watering hole and perhaps you're, you know, let's think of a a zebra and it's drinking the water and then suddenly it hears its ears prick and it hears this roar in the distance and everything in it suddenly is poised to, to run, to save its life. And, you know, then let's say if that lion comes near, then it can, it's full of adrenaline, it can just run for its life and try and save its life, preserve its life. But if that roar kind of disappears off into the distance, then that zebra just, you know, you, you can physically see it, relax and just continue to drink the water. So that that physical response is something that we all have inside of us. And it becomes problematic when we're, for whatever reason, we're hypervigilant. So we become hypervigilant. We're always on alert. And that, that anxiety response, we can feel all that kind of tension and that adrenaline, that cortisol and Our bodies are literally waiting for something bad to happen so we can run. And that can just, we can just find that that's switched on a lot of the time. So that's when it becomes an issue really. Mm.
1: Well one lovely aspect of your book actually is that you end each chapter with some really practical tips so there's definitely some great takeaways for that and we're obviously not going to give away all your secrets but I think <laughs> particularly in relating to anxiety which I know you know whether you're a new mum or not I think many of us myself included will have had heightens of feelings of anxiety yeah. in recent months or years what would you suggest as a good way to help us cope with that?
2: So I think with the increased knowledge and the increase the increasing other people's experiences and life stories we hear we ha- it 's almost like we 've got a lot more fodder for anxiety. You know I will <laughs> go online and I will read about an illness that i 'd never heard of before. <laughs> And suddenly it's like I've added it to my library of things to look out for and be anxious about and, you know, think, oh, gosh, is this, you know, is this a symptom of that thing? And, you know, so so it's kind of like, how can we how can we care for ourselves when we are we are on the receiving end of so much that adds to that potential to be anxious? And this is something I lent really heavily upon in the pandemic. And I've, I've carried it with me since then is I will cross that bridge if I get to it. And it's that reminder that so many of those bridges that we imagine crossing, so many of those challenges, we will never experience. They will probably never come to fruition. But it is also that awareness that we have crossed so many bridges in our lives, times of challenge, times of trauma, where if someone had told you years ago, you would go through this, you would go through that, you would say absolutely no chance. Mm. There is no way that I could come out of that okay. And we have crossed all the bridges to this point in our lives, to varying degrees, obviously, of, of coping and support around us and, you know, sanity in the end of it. But we have done. So I think when I find myself going down a, a scenario in my mind, I will often just say, Anna, you will cross that bridge if you get to it. And it's, yeah, I just find that to be, that mm. to be quite grounding. That's a great word, If. Yes, the if, if. I the get to it really You're not important. necessarily going to
1: get that appalling disease that you've just read about, that you've stashed away in your library of potential yeah. anxiety-making moments. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, yeah. if it did happen, then you would cross that bridge, wouldn't you? You'd, yeah. you'd gather the yeah. resources and you'd find the resilience and the people to help you do that. Yeah. So I think that's a great mantra. A good one. I should remember it? it. I like that If one. it happens. If I'll it deal happens. With it. If. And you know, I'll share that with my children, actually. I, I, you know, I have one in particular who does really struggle with anxiety. And I remember when she was, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11, she was super worried about something. It was preying on her mind. Mm. I said, you know, what, what is it that's worrying you? And she said, well, um, I, I, I don't know how to write a cheque. And this is obviously going back a bit. And I know that when I'm an adult, I'm going to have to pay tax. And if I don't pay tax, I'm going to get into trouble. But how do I write a cheque? And I was like, sweetheart, you... listen, by the time, A, by yeah. the time you're grown up and earning money to pay tax, I'm sure there will be no such thing as cheques, which clearly, you know, we've been proved yeah, right. Yeah, you were right <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it was just, you know, and I, mm. I didn't really know how to address it, but I could say, you know, well, if that happens then yeah. you will you will have the tools yeah, to, to cope with it. Let's talk about another emotion. Let's talk about anger. And that's something that you might not necessarily automatically associate with motherhood, especially new motherhood. It's supposed to be joyful. How can you cope with that as a new mum? And is it something that you see with people that you're talking to about motherhood?
2: Yeah, I think there has been more disclosure, feelings of anger in the last couple of years than than ever really and, and also mum's saying that they're kind of shocked that they've that they feel so angry. They feel this kind of like simmering rage beneath beneath the surface. And I think it really reminded me of that early, you know, those early motherhood years where there is just so much exhaustion and there is so much, there is so little time to kind of acknowledge needs and meet them. And um, So I started unpicking this rage a little bit as I I noticed that I was feeling more rage than ever over the last couple of years, just really, and we don't like that when we see it in ourselves, it's not a a quality that we deem kind of desirable. So it can be quite jarring when people experience this rage. And I started thinking about it and kind of concluded that rage is often the culmination of unvalidated feelings, unexpressed emotion and unmet needs. And it's just like that pressure cooker that builds up and builds up and builds up. And then, you know, we feel it simmering and it either just comes out sideways in, you know, in an action that we're not very proud of. And we kind of wonder where, where did that come from? Why did I respond like that? Or it comes out and what I call at the moment, parenting meltdown, you know, this kind of, this, this rage, this desire maybe in the moment to throw the pasta against the wall or walk out the house or I threw a, a plastic plate the other day and it just, it came, you know, it's not something I've done before, but it came out of this overflow. And when you think about it, you know, if that anger, that rage, that irritability is is made of a mixture of unmet needs and unexpressed feelings, what are those feelings that have just been pushed down what are those needs that have just been pushed down you know Mm. those things that keep you feeling like yourself that perhaps you've had to overlook or sometimes we choose to overlook because we feel undeserving or we feel guilty when we rest you know there are many reasons why we'd overlook our needs perhaps we don't have support we lack the resources And those feelings, when was the last time you spoke to a friend? When was the last time you expressed some feelings? Because even if someone can't fix it or take it away or make it better, there is so much value in externalizing them and having them heard and validated. Mm -hmm. I think
1: that's a very interesting notion, actually, that yes, of course, we do all get flashes of anger and rage and feel the resentment and we overflow like a, I don't know, a milk pan on the stove that just boils over. And so often I hear people say, oh, it's fine. You know, it's fine just to let off steam once in a while and and to kind of blow off. But actually what you're saying is, yes, but also let's look at why. You know, why have you got into this situation? What is it if we just take a little step back and say, why do you feel like this and how can we fix it yes it's fine to feel like that and we all have moments of
2: yeah
1: rage and anger and it's good not to suppress it isn't it i'm sure you'd say yeah, as a therapist absolutely. you know don't don't keep yeah. those he- feelings hidden and buried let's bring them out but then what you're saying is is look at the why as well
2: yeah and it it comes into that you know when we normalize things between ourselves and we talk about those times where we kind of lost our rag or well, I'm so I feel so guilty because I yelled this morning and you know we all kind of have that collective oh yeah we all do that sometimes but actually and this is where I say that I want to kind of raise the bar for people's mental health is how does it feel when that happens you know often in my household there's a collateral damage that then I have to clear up you know I have to have yes. conversations I have to apologize like I often have feelings of guilt or shame that've been stirred up that I need to address in an ideal world I'd be I'd be finding ways you know even little tiny ways to Address and meet my needs and prioritize some of those needs and value rest and value sleep and you know those things are actually are feeding into that happening more often, so it's that yes it's it's good that we know we're not alone, but actually do we need to stop there might might we want more for ourselves than that
1: yeah, I mean and that kind of brings us into the question of the whole area of motherhood in general. Because a mum isn't just a new mum, you know, as I said right at the beginning, you know, you will always be somebody's parent and they will always be your child no matter what age. And I think we all tend to feel different emotions at different stages of our lives. And I'm thinking here particularly about hormonal changes, not only the hormones of new motherhood, but the hormonal shift that we get during perimenopause and menopause, the feelings of abandonment perhaps with empty nest, empty nesting Mm -hmm. as our kids grow up and leave. Um, Even becoming a grandparent actually changes the family dynamic. Is it true that we have these different emotions, particularly associated with motherhood? And if so, how can we best recognize them and acknowledge them and use them in a positive way?
2: Yeah, and I think there are so many griefs in motherhood, aren't there? And it is those, you know, sometimes you feel as soon as you've got used to a certain stage then it it shifts and change again and so sometimes there is a grief with that there are lots of different Mm. griefs in motherhood as children kind of move away from us and become more independent and leave home and then we see our body is shifting and changing again and you know we might have a grief for 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 elements of our lives that we haven't lived or parts that we've left behind and I often say to people you know allowing yourself to feel that sadness isn't saying that you're not grateful for what you've had again it comes back to that and doesn't it so our uh, you know one of my tips for these is is just to acknowledge and identify the emotion and not rush to try and change it because i think so often we we want to lessen those feelings we want to manipulate them or change them or hurry them along or numb them or sidestep them when actually you know one of the most generous things that we can do for ourselves is just let those emotions move through us. Just let them be, you know, say to yourself, I feel today, I feel sad and that is okay. You know, it's not mm. a reflection or a statement on how much you love or how much you don't or how much you're grateful or how much you aren't. It's, it's just that increase in confidence and trust in the fact that like like storms, like seasons, emotions will, will move through us and pass and we can validate them and let them be there without needing to analyse them and swim around and get stuck in them. In fact, we're less likely to get stuck in those emotions, which I think is what we often fear. If I let myself feel sad, maybe I'll never feel happy again. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> when actually, you know, it's just that yeah. acknowledge that emotion, say today I feel or now I feel, because actually in 10 minutes you fi- might feel differently if you leave it. I feel, I feel, I feel angry and actually that, mm. that's okay. It's just how I'm feeling right now.
1: So it will build if you don't deal with yeah. it. Is that what you're yes. saying?
2: Yeah, or just sometimes the more we try and chivvy an emotion along or, you know, change it or you know, gratitude the living daylights out of it, actually we're just, we're not <laughs> letting it be what it is. We're not letting it serve the purpose. We're processing something somewhere. That's just what's coming out. So yes, introduce a bit of gratitude if that helps bring balance. But you know, just just leave that emotion. it just mm. just just let it be unless I think if it's kind of consistent depression or trauma, then I would say that's different. Yes,
1: yeah, so I was going to ask you actually if if anyone listening to hear this is recognizing some of these feelings, mm. at what point do you say I actually need to go and talk to somebody? I need to take this a little bit further. and if we do reach that point, what would the, be the best ways yeah.
2: of getting some help? So I think when you notice that there is a a kind of an overwhelming emotion that is preventing you from feeling you know the different spectrum of emotions so if you're feeling really low and actually you start thinking you know what I haven't laughed for a while I haven't felt that lightness I haven't felt that joy this I've just felt gray some people talk about emotion in color you know or you've had a really anxious patch and normally that might just last kind of you might link it with hormones or you might link it with stress but actually that's just been ongoing for a while and just check in with yourself and if there is a lack of some of those more enjoyable emotions that then perhaps that's a good sign to get support and how to access that so there are different access points obviously the GP can refer you for different talking therapies and resources, some of those online um, there's also the counseling directory um, which is a website that you can find therapists locally to you and often those you know they come at a very varying price range, but they will be they will have costs attached there are charities that you can contact. But I would just say, if you're even asking yourself whether you, you'd benefit from support, then then start seeking it because you're deserving. Yes. We're all deserving of support. And it might just be as simple as actually just opening up to a friend or a family member that has, I would say, choose someone h- that has historically been kind and supportive and just start those conversations, mm. little steps. So how would we go
1: about helping somebody, perhaps a family member or a friend, who we think may well need some help like this, but hasn't actually opened up about it? How can we encourage them to talk about it and maybe to get help? What would be a good kind of opening conversation to have?
2: It's hard, isn't it? Because I think, and I've been that person on the receiving end of people's concern, and I haven't been at the right in the right kind of headspace to seek that support because you know something I've recognized in myself is that looking like you have it together is can can be a defense against falling apart especially in motherhood where you think I can't fall apart I can't I cannot afford to fall apart so you might tell present to the world that you're fine and even kind of is a way of trying to to make it happen for yourself that if I act fine then maybe I'll become fine so it's that acknowledgement that that person, for whatever reason, might not be in that place to address that, how they're feeling. But so how can you do it really tentatively? And it might be, I've just noticed you're not feeling yourself recently, or I just wondered how you are and asked twice, you know, how are you? Are you right. okay? Are you okay? And, and I think you can, you know, we know that we can kind of gauge whether someone sticks up the barriers straight away, or whether there is a slight kind of openness to to go a little bit deeper, but just reminding someone that you're there for them. Just reminding mm-hmm. someone and maybe even talking about one of the times that you've had, that you struggled with your mental health and, you know, as a way of kind of not not addressing it head on, giving a little bit of your story to make them feel slightly more at ease. But I think it's, it can be really hard watching someone mm-hmm. that you care about struggle and they're not yet open to exploring that or, or receiving support. So it's kind of just letting them know really gently that you're there on the sidelines and when they're ready, you'll be there.
1: I think that's, that's really helpful because it will, A, trigger the thought that maybe I do need to talk to somebody, but also they can always come back to that knowledge, mm. acknowledgement and awareness that there is somebody there who's sympathetic and who's already started that conversation. It becomes easier, perhaps, then for that person to say, actually, do you know what? You know what you mentioned the other day? Actually, I would quite like to have that conversation yeah. with you yeah Anna it's been an absolute joy to talk to you today it's always I mean I've, I've loved our chat I love chatting on your podcast thank you for coming on here to share where can everyone listening find out more about you and of course about the new book because I'm sure it's going to be a very helpful resource for a lot of people
2: thank you it's been I've I love speaking with you I lo- and I often <laughs> feel like there are many other many other topics of conversation that we that we could talk about indeed but th- I share lots on some on Instagram as Anna A W N A Martha M-A-T-H-U-R and I've got a platform called the Mother Mind Way which has got lots of 12 pound resources so like videos on health anxiety like guilt in motherhood self-esteem people pleasing lots of things like that and the therapy edit which is my little podcast that you were kindly on and those are little 10 to 20 minute episodes just to listen to out with a dog or on the way to the school pickup and just words that will encourage and ground you so and then the books called the little book of calm for new mums and that's out in all the the usual places
1: all the usual places Anna thank you so much and very best of luck with it it's absolutely great been lovely to have you today thank
2: you so much for having me
1: well, huge thanks to Anna. And as always, you will find more information with all the links and the resources to everything that she mentioned over on our mothership of a website, which is, of course, lazarwellbeing.com There you can also sign up for the free weekly newsletter filled with tips, plenty of ways to live well and, of course, including lots of ideas to look after our mental health. Well, don't forget that you can get more advice, research and articles in our bi-monthly magazine. And we, of course, love feedback, comments, questions. And many of you have been asking how I am getting on with taking quercetin. Well, this is the natural plant pigment that I highlighted recently as being so very helpful in controlling my hay fever symptoms. And yes, I'm happy to report it's still working. Very well for me. So I take the BioCare quercetin, which is combined with nettle extract, a traditional herbal remedy for histamine issues. And yeah, do you know, it's working incredibly well. So I take two capsules two or three times a day. Kind of depending on where I am, what I'm doing. For example, if I'm walking through a park filled with plane trees, especially right now, I will take a bit more, a bit more than if I'm, say, on a tree-free beach coastal walk, because for me, it's always that springtime tree pollen that sets me off. And do you know, since taking it, I have also become aware of ongoing research into quercetin generally to help both COVID and long COVID. It is a fascinating supplement, very much linked to processes of inflammation and the immune system's histamine response. And yeah, I am very impressed. My prescription hay fever meds are still lying unopened in their boxes. And if you wanted to try BioCares Quercetin, then don't forget you can get 15% off with the affiliate discount code, which is LizLoves, all in capitals, all one word, that is Liz. Loves. And interestingly, I read in a review actually only this week that in a test, 20 out of 24 brands of quercetin purchased by an American testing lab called Consumer Lab, they bought them on Amazon and they found when they tested them that they contained much less quercetin than was actually listed on the pack, which just goes to show that you should only ever buy food supplements from trusted, reputable brands and never, never, ever make health decisions when chopping online purely based on price alone well if you have more comments questions if you'd like to get in touch you will find me on social media at lizelle me or of course the team and me at lizelle Wellbeing. thanks very much for listening today until the next time we chat go well Bye bye our so well-being show is presented by me, Lizelle, and is a fresh air production. With grateful thanks to my producers Ellie Smith and Jesse Bent. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.